Welcome to the Trademark Church Podcast. We're so excited for you to hear our message today. Another thing we would love is for you to join us in person, whether that's live, online, or if you're local to DFW, come visit our location in Fort Worth, Texas. For service times, location, and everything you need to know, visit trademark.church. We hope today's message encourages you and helps you live a more fulfilling life in Jesus. Easter is next week, right? It's kind of a big deal uh, in the church world and uh, pretty significant. We're going to have an amazing Easter, so I would encourage you to be here. I'd encourage you to bring your families, invite some friends. Um, But today is what uh, we call Palm Sunday. Uh, This is where Jesus um, entered into Jerusalem. He came riding on a donkey, and as he was riding uh, on a donkey, Uh, the people began to shout Hosanna and they began to lay palm branches uh, in front of the the donkey and he he became to come in. They were actually taking off their garments and throwing it in. The Bible labels it as the triumphant entry. And so uh, there was this great like aura around what was happening. And it says that some people were actually afraid because there was this, this buzz in the air because many thought that Jesus was coming to, to literally take over like with, with violence, like, hey, we are raising up an army and we are gonna take over the Roman government and the Jewish people were excited because they believed they were gonna be put into positions uh, of power. But it's interesting as you really study this portion of scripture that if Jesus was coming to wage war in the normal sense that, that we think of war, he would have came on a horse because a horse was a signification of battle. A donkey in which Jesus wrote in was a signification of peace. Because here's the beauty of Easter, and we're gonna talk about this more next week. Jesus did not come to wage a war with swords and spears, and he came to wage a war with love. Because it's love that ultimately changes and transforms people. And so we're gonna talk extensively about that next week, but you know, Easter is, like the Super Bowl, right? Like of, of church, right? Every, everybody shows up on Easter, at least you should or whatever, you know, and it is, you know, we've almost made a bigger deal out of Christmas, which is interesting. Christmas is significant. God becoming flesh dwelling with us. But Easter, if there's no Easter, there's no reason even doing this. If there's no Easter, if there's no resurrection, if there's no uh, ascending back to heaven, like there's no point in singing these songs because it just means Jesus was a good man that died. But Jesus was the son of God. He rose again victoriously. But you know, I've learned something about celebrating. Those that understand the sacrifice are the ones that really understand the celebration. You see, you could show up to a championship game in the last two minutes of the game and see the team win and the confetti fall and people jump around and be excited and you could join them. And you might have a glimpse, but unless you really understand the blood, the sweat, the tears, the sacrifice that it took for Jesus to get to victory, You won't ever be able to celebrate it to its fullest. And so this morning, we're gonna approach the message a a little bit different 
today. Uh, we're going to start with communion. If you've been with us, you know where communion is located. If you're new, communion is located in the seat back in front of you, and it's right beneath your seat if you're on one of the front rows. But here's what I want you to do. I don't want you to open it yet. I just want you to hold on to it. If you're online, you can grab some elements to prepare. But I just don't open it. Just hold on to the cup. You see, oftentimes we approach communion with maybe a little bit of understanding, maybe a vague sense of significance with it. But my goal today is to help us to have a fuller significance of what this means. So I want to read to you this morning the first communion. And then toward the end of this message, we're going to take communion together. So you could just set it next to you or hold on to it for a little bit. But in Matthew chapter 26, starting in verse 26, it says this. As they were eating, Jesus took some bread and blessed it. Then he broke it in pieces and gave it to his disciples saying, take this and eat for this is my body. And he took a cup of wine and he gave thanks to God for it. He gave it to them and said, each of you drink from it for this is my blood, which confirms the covenant between God and his people. It is poured out as a sacrifice to forgive the sins of many. Mark my words, I will not drink wine again until the day I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Then they sang a hymn and went out to the Mount of Olives. God, this morning, I pray through the power of your word and over these next few moments, that you would speak to us. And my specific prayer for every single person here and every single person tuning online is that we would grasp to a greater degree this morning the significance of your sacrifice so that next Sunday, Father, we can celebrate like we've never celebrated before. We pray all of this in your name, Jesus. Amen. You know, during the first communion, which we just read, the disciples had no idea what was going on. Sometimes it's, it's easy. You think about scripture, right? You think about um, them sitting at the table and Jesus saying, this is my body. This is my blood that's going to be poured out for you. That they, they grasped all that was going on. These guys had no clue, like no clue. It's kind of a funny picture, right? You got the Last Supper, right? The, the, the beautiful painting, the famous painting, right? It kind of just gives this aura of like everyone like knew what was going on. Man, look at like a guy like Peter and you see what happens a little bit afterwards. Man, these guys had no idea what Jesus was talking about. Zero. They were just like, man, Jesus cooked up like a legit meal. This is great says one of the disciples was like leaning on Jesus. Now imagine like, I think it was John and John, the disciple who Jesus loved is how he's defined in scripture. You know, he's just like a little boy, just like 
laying on daddy's lap, you know, lounging at the table, hanging out. And then Jesus takes a piece of bread and he says, hey, listen, guys, this is my body. It's going to be broken for you. Now, if you could just delete like everything that you know, and like you were at dinner with some folks that you loved, you cared about, and they got up and they said, hey, you see this French bread right here? Fresh out of the oven. This is my body. It's going to be broken for you. You'd be like, ah. it's got a little awkward. And the wine comes out. You hadn't even had your first drink. Some guy says, This is my blood. And we're going to make a covenant with it. Drink. They had no clue. And so today, over the next few moments, what I want to do is I want to walk through what happened shortly after communion. Because very quickly, these people at this table understood what communion was about. And as followers of Christ, it's important for us to understand the significance of communion because it's one of two sacraments that Jesus has given us to connect with him. Sacrament, in a lot of ways, is kind of like a a wedding ring, if you will, right? I take my ring off, I'm still married to Brittany, right? I put it back on, still married. But it's a symbol that I wear around that says, I'm married. That's what baptism is, it's a sacrament. You get in the water, it's kind of like saying, I'm married to Jesus. I'm with him, I'm intimately, closely connected with him. Communion is so that we never forget what Jesus had to endure to forgive us of our sins. It's so easy over time, and I've been guilty of this, to think so much about the celebration of Easter. I mean, we should celebrate. I love celebrating. If you really read the Bible, the Bible has a lot of parties in it. There's a lot of celebrating. God loves celebrating. We should love celebrating. But again, in order to grasp the significance of the sacrifice of Jesus, We cannot forget what Jesus endured leading up to the cross and on the cross. So we're going to walk through some moments that Jesus experienced. We're going to walk through what took place from the breaking of bread and the drinking of the wine to the point where Jesus dies on the cross. I was trying to correlate, like, understanding some of this. I was invited one time to a, uh, some of y'all might know a better term for this. I just call it a dirty car race. 
girl I kind of liked, this is many, many years ago, was like, hey, my uncles like race cars. And I'm thinking like Fast and the Furious, I stand on a street corner and watch these little Honda Civics fly down the street. <laughs> Maybe I'll catch a glimpse of a Lamborghini or something, you know. That's what I think of racing. We drive to the middle of nowhere. And then there's all these bleachers, like makeshift bleachers and this really high fence and and a dirt track. And I'm sitting there and I definitely didn't dress for the occasion. I walked in and it was all eyes on me. It's a lot of boots, a lot of dirty faced people. Here I come in, trying to make an impression on this girl. She's in boots, and I'm just like, oh my goodness. So I sit down with the family seating. This race starts, and man, people are hooping and hollering, screaming, going crazy. Dirt is flying everywhere in my hair, on my clothes. Just because I kind of liked her, I was like, yeah, this is awesome. Whoa. Man, I could, I wanted out of there. There was no date after that. No compatibility whatsoever. But these people were celebrating. But they had full context to what was happening. I had zero context to what's happening. We gotta have context to the significance of what Jesus endured for us. You see, because I want you to write this down, it should come up on the screen. Uh, When Christians approach Easter as simply another holiday we celebrate, instead of a reality that Jesus experienced, we rob the cross of its significance in our lives. It's come something long to write down. So you may want to just take a a picture of it, but let me say it again. When Christians, when those of us that have made a decision to follow Jesus, we have surrendered our lives to him. When we approach Easter, when we approach next Sunday as, as simply another holiday that we celebrate, instead of the reality that Jesus experienced, we don't rob Jesus because Jesus has his glory. You can't rob Jesus of his glory. If there was not one single person that ever believed in Jesus, Jesus would still have his glory. I hope you know that. Because he was, he is, he always will be the King of kings and the Lord of lords. What happens when we approach Easter, just as another holiday, is we rob the significance of the cross for our own lives. We diminish something significant that God has given to us so that we could live life to the ultimate fulfilling place that he wants us to lead us to. Now listen, I want you to hear me on this because today's message is it's, it's a little intense as far as the content goes. I'm not anti-Easter celebration. Now you need to hear my heart on this. I'm all for the Easter bunny. I know sometimes we can get very like, everything's pagan. 
No Santa Claus, no Easter Bunny, definitely no Halloween. But you know Halloween falls on a Sunday this year? We're going all out. There will be a dress code, though, on your costumes. Easter can get a little uh, iffy. Um, I'm not anti-Easter bunny. I'm not anti-egg hunts. I'm definitely not anti-candy. One of the greatest things about Easter is when Reese's put out their eggs. And here's why. Because there's the same amount of chocolate, but there's a whole lot more peanut butter. And I will fight anybody who doesn't agree that chocolate and peanut butter is one of the greatest things that God ever created. I actually believe, yes, thank you. The rest of you can find another church. I'm telling you. Chocolate and peanut butter, I really believe, is manna. It's what God sent down for the Israelites, and that's why they gorged on it so much. And so listen, I'm not, we need to loosen up. I'm not, I'm not anti-Easter. I'm not anti any of, of the celebrations that go on around it. Um, but as Christ followers, we can never lose sight of what Jesus went through so that we could be made right with God. You see, the more we understand the suffering of Jesus, the more we appreciate the salvation that comes through Jesus. When you can understand the suffering that Jesus went through, the suffering that he experienced, and the fact that he did not tap out. He told Peter, listen, Peter, do you know that I can call 10,000 legions of angels to come intervene at any moment? Jesus still chose through it all to press on. And when you can understand it, and you can grasp it when you meditate on it, you really begin to understand the significance of salvation. And what the cost was that was paid so that you could live free in Jesus. So for the next few moments, we're, we're going to walk through, we're going to talk through what took place after the first communion. Matthew tells us that they sang a hymn. They broke the bread. They took the wine. They sang a hymn and they went to the Mount of Olives. And they wind up in this garden, the Garden of Gethsemane. It's interesting, as I was reading about gardens in this particular area, Jerusalem was actually built on like the side of a, a mountain. There, there were no natural gardens. It wasn't like all of a the sudden they were like, hey, let's just go walk through this cool garden over here. What this means is that there had to have been a designated garden that probably someone wealthy had built and that Jesus had access to. And one commentator said, isn't it beautiful that Jesus, knowing the darkest moments, still had some significant friends that were willing to give him the room that he needed to prepare for the sacrifice that he was about to make. Somebody gave him the donkey to ride into. Someone gave him the room to have communion in. And someone gave him a garden to pray and prepare his heart for the anguish that he was about to experience. When the whole world was coming against Jesus, there were still people. 
There's going to be a lot of times in this journey of being a Christian where it seems like the whole world is coming against the church. The whole world is coming against Jesus. We need to ask ourselves, are we going to be the one that still offers the space, the room for Jesus to do what Jesus does? So Jesus is in this garden and we're going to go through these, these six um, what we're going to call stations, stations of the cross. And the first station is that in this garden, Jesus is tempted. Each one of these creative designs um, represents artistically what Jesus was going through. Communion had just happened. Jesus goes to the garden in Matthew chapter 26, verse 38 through 39. He says this to his disciples. He told them, my soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. He went a little further, bowed with his face to the ground, praying, my father, if it is possible, let this cup of suffering be taken away from me. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. If you read all the accounts of this, it says that Jesus prayed three times, each time going back, finding his disciples asleep. When he says that my soul is crushed with grief to the point of death, um, I imagine the anxiety. Anybody ever struggle with some anxiety? You're anxious about something to the point where it almost leaves you nauseous. Your palms are sweaty, your heart is racing. You can't get your mind clear. It says that Jesus prayed so hard that the sweat actually was forming droplets of blood. There was an anguish that Jesus was experiencing, knowing what was about to happen. And I don't know about you, but typically when I'm in anguish or when I am facing something difficult or I have anxiety, I tend to try to work the situation out myself, to try to figure out what's my next move, what do I need to do, how do I get through this, what do I accomplish? Man, Jesus' first response was to go to his father in prayer. The commentator William Barclay says, surely this passage we must approach upon our knees. Here, study should pass into wondering adoration. You see, what we learn from Jesus in this moment where he is on his knees praying, let this cup pass from me, we learn that even in the greatest agony, what total submission to God looks like. Total submission to God. You see, the truth is nobody wants to die at the age of 33. That's how old Jesus was. There's not a single person in this room that feels like 33 is the goal of life. If I could just get to 33... No, at 33, you're about to hit the pinnacle of 
your life. You're about to see things take off. Jesus has amassed this following. Great things are happening. There's no way Jesus was excited about reaching the end of his life at age 33, especially the way he knew he was going to die on a cross. It's one thing to die. It's a whole nother thing to know exactly, step by step, moment by moment, what you are going to go through in your death. So Jesus in his flesh is in agony. And the agony is not so much the physical as it is the spiritual. Because you better believe every power, every dark power in the pit of hell in this moment was coming at Jesus saying, just give it up. It's not worth it. My soul is crushed to the point of death. Every pressure of humanity, you think about every piece of anxiety you've experienced, every pressure you've ever felt, every difficult situation you've ever dealt with just in this room alone, magnify that by the population of the entire world for all of history being pressed down upon Jesus. I'm crushed to the point of death. And the question really was, was Jesus gonna bail out and submit to the flesh? Or was he going to fully submit to God? You see, you and I, we're gonna face all sorts of things in life. And I'm so thankful that I have a savior to look toward and know that the same power that lives in him lives in me. And so what that means is if Jesus could get through the anguish of the pressure of the world upon his shoulders, anything that I deal with, anything that I go through, I have the power to still say, God, let your will be done. Not my own. And so they break bread. They have this moment of communion. They go to the garden. Jesus is tempted to throw in the towel, to give it up. But he, he gets past it. He moves past it. The next station, the next thing that we see happen with Jesus is that Jesus is betrayed. Jesus comes back to the disciples. They're still sleeping. Matthew chapter 26, verse 45 through 50, he says, then he came to the disciples and said, go ahead and sleep, have your rest. But look, the time has come. The son of man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Up, let's be going. Look, my betrayer is here. And even as Jesus said this, Judas one of the 12 disciples, one of the guys that was sitting at this table when Jesus broke bread, gave wine, arrived with a crowd of men armed with swords and clubs. They had been sent by the leading priests and the elders of the people. The traitor Judas had given them a prearranged signal. You will know which one to arrest when I greet him with a kiss. You've got your Bibles or you're, you're following along, just underline that word kiss. So Judas came straight to Jesus, greeting Rabbi, he exclaimed, and gave him the kiss. Underline that second kiss. Jesus said, my friend, go ahead and do what you have come for. 
You know, it's one thing to get hurt by a random person, right? All of us have been betrayed to some extent. It's one thing to just get hurt by some random individual that you don't know. It's, it's an entirely different thing to be hurt from somebody you were intimately close with, that you spent time with, that you invested in, that you poured into, that you did life with. Jesus has spent three years with Judas. He intimately knows Judas. Judas intimately knows him. It's, it's interesting when these two words kissed are used that when it's talking about Judas agreeing to betray Jesus with a kiss, it's just a normal word for kiss, just a The second kiss that's used when he says greetings rabbi is a passionate kiss. Multiple kisses. What's being depicted is Judas came and he kissed Jesus multiple times. Greetings, rabbi, with excitement. It's interesting because we picture Judas as this dark individual right throughout history. This dark individual whose motive was just hatred toward Jesus and he just couldn't wait to betray him because of money. A lot of what I read this week actually paints Judas in a little bit of a different light. Not so much a deep hatred, because if that was the case, Judas is the single worst person who has ever walked the face of the earth to do three years with Jesus, seeing his compassion, his love, his mercy, to be poured into by that and have that much animosity toward Jesus. Many scholars believe that Judas was actually trying to push Jesus's hand at making the kingdom come. And when he realizes Through all that we're gonna talk about in a moment, he is utterly broken to the point of killing himself. When in fact, if he would have just come back to Jesus, the same grace, the same mercy that was extended to Peter would have been extended to Judas. And so it's easy if you know somebody hates you just say, well, do what you got to do. We ain't cool anyways. But when you know that there's still connection, how much more painful was it for Jesus to experience knowing Judas, I know what you're trying to do. You're trying to force my hand, but I've already got it all under control. If you would have just trusted me, if you would have just walked with me, If you would have just remained faithfully by my side, you would have seen glory with me. Jesus is tempted. Jesus is betrayed. Jesus is arrested. He's taken before Pilate. The next thing that we want to look at is that Jesus is condemned, stripped, and mocked. Matthew chapter 27, verse 26 through 30. So Pilate released Barabbas to them. It's criminal and replacement for Jesus. He ordered Jesus flogged with a lead tip whip. Then turned him over to the Roman soldiers to be crucified. Some of the governor's soldiers took Jesus into their headquarters and called out the entire regiment. They stripped him 
put a scarlet robe on him. They wove thorn branches into a crown and put it on his head. And they placed a reed stick in his right hand as a scepter. Then they knelt before him in mockery and taunted, Hail, King of the Jews. And they spit on him and grabbed the stick and struck him on the head with it. When they were finally tired of mocking him, they took off the robe, put on his own clothes, and led him away to be crucified. I don't want to get too graphic or too descriptive with this, but what Jesus went through physically even before the cross was no short of torture. I remember as a kid, we went to medieval times. I don't know if you've been to medieval times and you go into the little room and they have these plaques and these different things and you can read about the different punishments that people had to endure back in medieval times where Jesus went through torture. You see, when you're flogged, your hands are tied behind you and you're bent over like this against a post. And the whip has pieces of bone or lead woven into it. And so when it hits your back and is pulled, it literally rips the flesh off your back. There's been some studies done with cadavers on what the effect of this was. And Jesus literally would have no back left from the number of times that he was struck. It would be down to the core of his bones almost. And then not only did they whip him, they put a crown of thorns, olive branch thorns are two, three inches long. And then they beat it into his head. And then they mocked him and they spit on him. They stripped him. It's easy to look at victory forget about the sacrifice. And then, when they were done, Jesus is given his cross. John chapter 19, verse 17 says, carrying the cross by himself, he went to the place called place of the skull, in Hebrew that is Golgotha, You know, no one specifically knows how far Jesus had to carry his cross, but I want to give you a a realistic image of this. Jesus didn't carry the entire cross, just the cross beam. The Romans had established certain areas where the, the pillar crosses were established. They were almost concreted into the ground, so they were a staple as a reminder to people of the punishment that they could face for things. But Jesus carried the cross beam. The crossbeam, at a minimum, weighed 100 pounds. So we need a realistic understanding of this because Jesus' back has just been utterly mutilated. All of his flesh has been torn off. There's still a crown of thorns pierced into his head. And then they place this crossbeam on his, this wooden, unfinished crossbeam 
on his back that weighs 100 pounds. Now, I, don't, I don't know if you know what 100 pounds is. I'd encourage you the next time you're at your gym or wherever to just go over to the rack and grab a 100-pound dumbbell and try to, try to lift that up and carry it around. Maybe one, two, three guys in this room that could lift that for any amount of time. And so Jesus has to put this on his back and staggering, he has to walk most likely a considerable distance on not smooth terrain. Says that he falls multiple times. They actually have to get somebody else to help carry this beam and they get to this place. Jesus is physically exhausted and then Jesus is nailed to the cross. They lay him flat on his back with this beam underneath him. And in Luke chapter 23, verse 33 to 34, it says, when they came to the place called the skull, they nailed him to the cross and the criminals were also crucified, one on his right and one on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. And then the soldiers gambled for his clothes by throwing dice. Uh, these aren't nails that you just hang a picture with on your wall. They're three to five inches long, five to seven inches long, excuse me, squared, almost like a, a smaller railroad spike that was driven through both of his wrists and then through his feet. He's hung up there. And they must have nailed him to the crossbeam first, hoisted him up on that or however the crosses came up and then nailed his feet. In the moment of being nailed to a cross, Jesus says, Father, forgive them. You know, when Jesus says Father, all throughout the context of every one of these, he's saying a word, Abba. During all of human history, in reference to God, Jesus is the only person, the first person, to reference God as Abba. God is holy, God is set apart. There's this idea of God sometimes as being so far off and distant and this dictator, ruler. And Jesus says, no, that's my daddy. That's what that translates to. It's as if a child is walking into the presence of their dad and saying, dad. Jesus says, dad, forgive them. I don't know what they're doing. I believe in that moment, Jesus wasn't just saying, Father, forgive this soldier or that soldier for nailing me to this cross. He was saying for every single man and woman that has ever walked the face of this earth or will walk the face of this earth, that is sin, forgive them. I don't know what they're doing. Jesus is hung on the cross and then Jesus dies. I'm gonna call the band up as we get ready to close out, but Jesus dies and you can find the reference to Jesus' death in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all the gospels, but I wanna read to you from Matthew what it says happened. 
says at noon, darkness fell across the whole land until three o'clock. At about three o'clock, Jesus called out with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, Lemma, Sabathani, which means, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Some of the bystanders misunderstood and thought that he was calling for the prophet Elijah. One of them ran and filled a sponge with sour wine, holding it up to him on a reed stick so he could drink. But the rest said, wait, let's see whether Elijah comes to save him. Then Jesus shouted out again and he released his spirit. At that moment, the curtain in the sanctuary of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook Rocks split apart and tombs opened. The bodies of many godly men and women who had died were raised from the dead. They left the cemeteries after Jesus' resurrection and went into the holy city of Jerusalem and appeared to many people. The Roman officer and the other soldiers at the crucifixion were terrified by the earthquake and all that had happened. They said, this man truly was the son of God. You know, this week, uh, starting tomorrow, every evening at seven o'clock, we're gonna post one of these images with the scripture references that you've seen today. And at 7.15, someone on our staff is gonna go on Facebook and they're gonna do a little devotional live on Facebook about one of these stations. Here's what I wanna encourage you to do. Don't show up next Sunday unprepared for the celebration. This week, listen, take just a brief moment of your day and think about what it is that Jesus went through for you. One small moment of each day leading up to Easter. And here's what I believe will happen. You'll walk into this place on Sunday. And it's gonna be a good Sunday. And we're gonna sing. And we're gonna clap. And we're gonna lift our hands. Some of us might dance. It's gonna be a day to celebrate. And if you have prepared your heart, I believe you're gonna celebrate like you've never celebrated before. Because you're gonna be able to look at the cross of Jesus and you're gonna understand the suffering. You're gonna understand the tragedy. You're gonna understand the difficulty that Jesus faced to be nailed to that cross, to forgive you of your sins. But then you're gonna say, but he didn't die. He rose again. And as I said moments ago, all of that power that Jesus has that took him to the cross, the willpower, the strength, supernatural spirit of God in his life that took him to the cross and then raised him from the dead is available to you and I. And so there's nothing in this world, there's nothing I can face, there's no difficulty I can go through. There's no obstacle that can come my way that can defeat me because I'm in Jesus and Jesus is in me.
So church, this morning, let's take communion with a new sense of gratitude and significance. And take that top layer off for the bread, the bottom layer for the cup. You know, the first communion was significant. It was a milestone moment where Jesus is setting the tone for what he's going to experience. You know what I wish I could witness? The second communion, where these same guys are sitting around a table and there's some broken bread and they realize the broken body of Jesus and its significance. And then they take a cup and they realize what Jesus meant by the pouring out of his blood. We take communion every Sunday here at Trademark Church because of the significance of what these things represent. So this morning, church, let's take of the bread, not remembering, but knowing what the broken body of Jesus did for us. And in the same way, let's take the cup knowing that the spilled blood of Jesus is for the forgiveness of our sins. Will you pray with me? Jesus, we love you. We glorify you. Your name is holy. We thank you. Thank you for not giving up. Thank you for enduring every step, every inch it took to get to that cross. That we look to you in every season, in every difficulty, in every obstacle, knowing that you loved us so much, you were willing to suffer all that you suffered so that we could have relationship with you for all of eternity. I pray, Jesus, that you would help us to prepare our hearts for what's to come next Sunday, where we celebrate the greatest act in all of human history, your resurrection. May we celebrate it with new significance because we better understand the sacrifice. We love you. We praise you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Trademark Church Podcast. If this message inspired you today, feel free to share with friends, leave a rating, and subscribe so you don't miss any of our weekly messages. This podcast and everything that we do at Trademark Church is only possible because of the generosity of those that call Trademark Church home. If you would like to give to the work that God is doing through Trademark, please visit trademark.church. Thanks again for checking out the podcast, and we'll see you soon.